And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. There's a story, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, we have had to reset the count uh, because of something I have this weekend. But it's it's a story for a little bit later on in the program. Welcome, everyone. We are live from the bunker. My name is Jason Hunt. I'm the editor here at JustSciFiForMe.com, where we have posted a review of Cocaine Bear, and that's going to be among the different things that we talk about today. Give a shout out to everybody who is listening to us on podcast platforms around the world. And uh, in invitation, you should check out our live video every now and again. Uh, Let's just jump right into this. Let me hang on. Let me get this working here. Why is that doing that? That's very strange. Okay, hold on. For some reason. There we go. All right. Paul DeGarabedian joins us. He is the senior media analyst for Comscore, and we're going to be talking at length about uh, this past weekend's box office. We want to get him in here uh, early just to set this thing up because he's got to jump out and jump back in. Paul, welcome, sir. Great to be here, Jason. What I like the tee up, Ant Man and the Bear. It sounds like a TV show from the seventies, right? Something. Right. I started. I was like, "Yeah, BJ and the Bear, Ant Man and the Bear. Sure, why not? Uh, why know, not? For, for those of us of an age, we'll remember uh, that particular bear, BJ and the Bear. Yep, uh, so. very uh, classic show for those of us of a certain age. And uh, this weekend was pretty. The Animal Kingdom well represented. In that top two with Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania and Cocaine Bear, the big surprise for the weekend. I think a lot of people had this one coming in maybe in the mid-teens or maybe even the high teens, but in the low 20s, 23 million on the estimates. Pretty amazing for an R-rated, I've seen the film, by the way, very out there film. I had one friend who walked out of it after I recommended (laughs) it to them and they walked out at some point. I'm like, well, it's not for everyone, but that's what makes it cool. Well, that's and- the cool thing about movies like this. Yeah. Not everyone's going to love it. That's not the point, right? They're kind of pushing the envelope and got to just appreciate a major studio putting this out there, I think. Yeah, well, and and <laughs> Mr. Harvey wrote in his review, this is exactly the kind of film it sounds like, you know, where where <laughs> it, cocaine bear. I mean, it really does sound like a drive-in B-movie Grindhouse, man. It's Grindhouse. Totally. Totally Grindhouse B-movie situation. You know, me and I suspect, I don't have the budget figures on it, but I suspect it wasn't a, you know, Star Wars style budget for this movie. I think I heard uh, uh, their budget was something like 30, 30, 32 million, I think. Um, Yeah, I mean, they had a a good cast in there and uh, obviously Ray, Ray Liotta, uh, they give a shout out at the end to him. And uh, yeah, just a really interesting movie. I was trying to think of another movie, not to put too fine a point on it, but another movie from a major studio that's like this subversive. I mean, I remember when Fight Club came out right. and I was like, wow, major studio put that out. Wow. Right. And, uh, you know, so it, it's kind of cool. And I, you know, Jason, I was looking at this and I'm thinking like when there's 
something literally for everyone out there, it pays off for theaters, right? So you have Jesus Revolution that did over 15 and a half million this weekend. That was another one that uh, totally the polar bear opposite of uh, <laughs> cocaine bear. Yeah. And uh, it that one did well also. And of course, Ant-Man and the Wasp dropped about 70% in its second week and went from 106 0.1 million opening weekend at 32.2 million this week. How much is being made of that? We can talk when I jump back in later, we could talk a little bit. I've got a whole list of second weekend drops for the Marvel films uh, sorted by second weekend drop. Okay. So it's kind of right. interesting to look at that and there's various factors involved in that, but yeah, just a interesting weekend. That's for sure. Yeah. That's, that's putting it mildly, I think. And then of course, <laughs> yeah. Disney getting hit with a, with a one, two punch today with, uh, with DeSantis signing that bill that gets rid of the Reedy Creek thing. So we'll get into that yeah. a little bit as well. <laughs> I think, yeah. yeah, I think, uh, I think you're right. I think there is, there is an audience for a lot of different kinds of movies. And even though I say Hollywood continues to learn the wrong lessons from these things, I do think mm -hmm. that, we might start seeing a turnaround a little bit in let's do some smaller budget pictures. Let's do some some stuff that's not part of a big franchise and let's see what happens. I think yeah. the studios need to get back to that. I uh, agree. So. And I think for Universal, I mean, obviously they're going to have Fast X or Fast, Fast 10, whatever, it, <laughs> however you're supposed to say it, but right. they've done a great job of having a pretty diverse slate just in terms of it's not all IP that's known. So, I mean, even Megan, it's from the Blumhouse universe or the Bl or the Blumhouse uh, movie factory, so to speak. And that has a brand quality there that people are attracted to. But Megan was another one that was really pretty, not original. We've seen creepy dolls before in movies, but you know what I mean? It's a, yeah. it was, we haven't seen that title on a marquee, Megan, with the three in the middle of it. I think also we're getting, uh, you know, things like um, uh, every, everywhere, everything, everywhere, all at once. I'm yeah. sweeping the SAG awards and, and picking right. up, you know, Critics' Choice Awards and all these different, all these different accolades. And it's just, small budget nothing film that nobody saw coming yeah and it was one of those things where like uh this is a surprise hit not a cult hit it's a it's an actual bona fide hit very right. popular and and successful and it's the return of short round i think that that probably <laughs> among everything else is you know you've got this comeback story <clears throat> right in the middle of it you know and between between Kwan and and brendan fraser you know, yeah. this is the year of the comeback, I think. I think they're both going to win Oscars. I agree, and I think that's a really good thing. And look, if if in the most cynical view, it's all about profit and, and the bottom line, well, like you said, everything everywhere all at once is a bona fide hit, no question about it. If there are lessons learned from that, meaning audiences want to go along for these rides that are a little bit more challenging, but still yet escapist, because we saw a lot of original films that came out particularly from the specialized or independent film world at towards the end of last year that just didn't do well. Yeah. And they were, they weren't necessarily at all known IP, but you know, like the, for example, um, you know, even the Fablemans, right. Didn't do as well as many had, had hoped, uh, but you can have hits with something like cocaine bear and uh, obviously everything everywhere, but it's, 
it's an inexact science, not really even a science at all. You never know till the movie opens how it's really going to be received. And Cocaine Bear on paper, you would have said, oh, this isn't. Well, maybe you'd say it was going to do great. I don't know. It depends on your point of view. Like if the idea of a cocaine bear and R-rated movie appeals to you, you're like yeah. that's catnip for for audiences. Can you um, imagine the pitch meeting for this? I mean, <laughs> yeah, there there's maybe maybe one or two percent of the based on the true story part. You know, yeah, right. Somebody yeah. comes in and says, "Hey, we could make this a grindhouse bloody." violent uh throwback to the 80s uh uh driving stuff you know this is this is joe bob briggs territory let's let's oh. do that and and now they're talking about a sequel you know everybody was making a joke about cocaine shark being the next thing and elizabeth banks sits there and goes, <laughs> you know that's shark. not a that's not a bad idea now we i were, like that and and I like I saw going around the internet, and this has probably been going on for a while, but they were calling it Pablo Escobar, which <laughs> I thought was pretty pretty clever. Well, and I, I actually it didn't catch on, Jason, but I did a hashtag bear liverance because I thought it was like deliverance, <laughs> yeah. but it didn't well, catch on at all. Bear liverance, people. Last last yeah. night on uh, on Culture Casinos channel, we were talking about this, and and mem people in the chat were throwing out various different ideas for for this franchise. This you know yeah. all this the story universe. Speed sloth uh, was one of them. <laughs> That's uh, good. Uh, her heroin uh, hashish hashish hamber uh, hashish hamster. hamster? Yeah, so wow. I mean, just, good one. I mean, you could come up with all sorts of different things there, but uh, and then they of course, could even get into the major pharmaceuticals too. It doesn't yeah. have to just be you know heroin and cocaine and all that. But I just think Pfizer the reverence of it, and it has to be R rated, which it was. You yeah. don't want to you know distill this down or 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 you know water it down. I should should say and not have it be an R rated movie and. uh and probably while they were making it, they're like, if this thing makes any money, we'll just be thrilled. <laughs> you, know, how, yeah. you don't know on set, you know, how a movie's going to turn out or how it's going to be re received by the by the public. But uh, well, but I'm going to come back to the bunker in, in uh, you know, about 15 minutes or so, Jason. Okay. And I've got some cool Marvel stats. You know, we can talk about that second weekend drop for Ant-Man and the Wasp. Maybe not as big of a deal, but there may be something baked in there that's going on but we'll 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 discuss that I, i'm sure and okay lots lots more to talk about so i if you'll indulge me i'm going to jump off here and then I'll, I'll be back in about 15 minutes okay sounds good we will talk to you then paul degarabedian from Comscore. all right i'll be back he'll be back and in, back. in the meantime <laughs> uh we do have a follow-up on a story that we had during good morning multiverse on saturday uh jansen panettiere uh, the brother of Hayden, dead last week, and we now have a word about cause of death. TV Line is reporting here. Uh, according to a statement from the family, Panettiere died of an enlarged heart. Uh, his death was first reported on February 20th, 28 years old. And in a statement, the parents and sister revealed that Jansen's sudden passing was due to cardiomegaly, Enlarged heart coupled with aortic valve complications. So there is uh, there is some more information there on that. And of course, we get to a point now <coughs> where the the first paranoid question is: Did he get 
did he get a shot? Did he get a, a, a vaccine and, and a booster? And what did that do? And did it cause a problem? And it's sad that we're at a point now where we don't trust our pharmaceutical industry. We don't trust our medical industry. We don't trust our doctors. Uh, that's not a good thing, folks. That's not a that's not a good place to be uh, in terms of um, care, health care, mental health care, uh, physical health care, medical care, any of that stuff. The, the, the last couple of years have done so much damage uh, to the trust that we had for these industries. I mean, the pharmaceutical industry didn't have very much trust going into this, but, you know. Anyway, that's that's uh, that's that. We mentioned Ron DeSantis. He de- uh, signed signed the law that strips Disney of control of the special district. Reedy Creek is officially no more. And I figure we'll get into this a little bit when uh, when Paul gets back. But you know, there are consequences to actions, and you have you have this. Uh, this event, this situation here coming directly out of uh, Disney pushing against the uh, parental rights and education bill from from last year. And (coughs) as it turns out, uh, according to DeSantis in his new book that's coming out, I guess, tomorrow, uh, like Cameron Pasha had reported and, and speculated there were private conversations in the background between Bob Chapek and Ron DeSantis about this bill. And according to DeSantis in his book, he says that Bob Chapek was pressure was feeling the pressure of uh, of this thing from internal. Uh, and apparently it was more than most people. Uh, usually do on this thing. This is uh, this is an exclusive with Fox. As uh, he's writing here in his book, as the controversy over the parental rights and education bill was coming to a head, Chapek called me. He did not want Disney to get involved, but he was getting a lot of pressure to weigh in against the bill. DeSantis writes, uh, "We get pressured all the time." Chapek told DeSantis, according to the governor's book, but this time is different. I haven't seen anything like this before. So it's <clears throat> it is one of those things where uh, he's getting pressure and we see we see this, you know, Cameron speculated about this that something was going on internally because we saw the 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 protests from the employees. I mean, there weren't that many, but the walkouts and the and the real vocal activity, the 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 complaints from the Pixar crowd, for example, and all the stuff surrounding Lightyear, <laughs> and then the stuff with the teachers coming out on TikTok saying, "Well, you know, we want to we want to you know, this this bill is going to keep us from talking about our sexuality with these kids," and we're like, "Why would you want to?" You know, this is another this is another strike against the Walt Disney Company. Which got this thing in 1967 because Walt Disney was going to build Epcot, right? It was going to be. It wasn't going to be a resort. It wasn't going to be a, a theme park. It was going to be this city of the future, this Tomorrowland type of thing, and that's why they got the special district and all these different things going on there. And it didn't. It didn't work out that way. It didn't turn out to be. 
what Walt Disney had originally planned. So the company's got all these theme parks and resorts. And as DeSantis says, now that Reedy Creek is out of the picture and you have this new district, which is going to be supervised by directors that are picked by the governor and approved by the state Senate. And that's not, don't read that to be the, don't read that to be DeSantis picks them. It's the governor has the authority to pick. So whoever is the governor picks these directors of this new improvement district. It's not just going to be. Uh, let's let's uh, let's time out. Let's time out Dawn there because I'm not sure exactly what's going on there. That doesn't look. That doesn't look good. All right, so um, this is not just about DeSantis. This is, you know, this now the governor of the state has the authority to oversee this imp- this business district using directors. That so there's some accountability now that wasn't there in 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 there before, and these directors have to be approved by the state senate, which means they could be removed, <clears throat> and as part of this deal. Disney is still on the hook for all of the money that needs to be paid out as far as, you know, tax abatements and what is other stuff. So Disney's now got a $700 million bill because a lot of people were worried. You get rid of Reedy Creek and the taxpayers are going to have to foot the bill for this thing. And it turns out the way that this thing has been structured, that's not going to be the case. So you have now $700 million as an obligation on the part of the Disney company they're going to have to pay that. So does that add to their existing debt, or is that already figured into what they already owe? That's that's a question. So that, on top of the poor f- performance of Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, and now we have word that there really doesn't sound like there's a plan for Phase 5. We'll get into that as well. I don't know. It just it just everything's rolling downhill for the Walt Disney Company and it doesn't sound like uh it doesn't sound like they're in a very strong position at all. So we'll see what we can see. But I think it's really interesting the timing of this, not only the fact that we've got the signing of the bill the day before a book comes out from DeSantis, but apparently there's an ad, there's a there's a TV commercial out. And some people are speculating that this is the beginning of his presidential run. I'd, I don't know about that. And that's not a, that's not something we're going to get into here. But uh, it's interesting timing that this bill gets signed after uh, after a week to week drop of about 72 percent for Ant-Man. So uh, sci fi snobs is kowtowing to employees about something that has nothing to do with the company cost them seven hundred million dollars. It looks like it. Not only that, it, it, not just the financial cost, but also the uh, the cost in autonomy. You know, they're no longer, you know, they they the, the Walt Disney Company no longer has their little fiefdom in the middle of Florida. You know, they don't have their little Vatican that they could just run and operate and do whatever they want to anymore. And like DeSantis said, you know, now Walt Disney World is going to get treated the exact same as SeaWorld. Or universal theme parks, or as now now there's a, a more level playing field in terms of responsibilities and and tax uh, taxation and and fiduciary obligations and that kind of thing. 
So no more special treatment for the Walt Disney Company, and it's their own fault. <coughs> but I find it interesting that this is the first we're hearing officially-ish about Bob Chapek's having conversations with DeSantis behind the scenes. Now, we'd had speculation about this. Cameron Pasha has speculated about this for months, that you know, some, at some point somewhere, Bob Chapek talked to Ron DeSantis behind the scenes in private. And this confirms this. This, this book from DeSantis confirms that part. And we all know about the, the hostage video that Chapek did. He was under so much pressure internally from, from people on the inside of, of the Walt Disney Company. And I'm sure that a lot of those people were aligned with Bob Iger's camp. But it became pretty clear after, after the parental rights and education bill was passed, it became pretty clear what the agenda was for the people that were circling the wagons for the teachers that wanted to teach kids about sex. And it's really not a surprise at all that the governor of Florida took these steps and the, and the state legislature and the state Senate took these steps to remove this special treatment from the Walt Disney Company because of this. You know, I'm not going to say it's a get woke, go broke, but, you know, you you roll the dice, you take your chances <coughs> on what happens. And this is another example. This is this is a perfect example of why corporations should stay out of politics, because one, there are political ramifications. There are also financial ramifications because there are people out there that are now not doing business with the Walt Disney Company. I'm not going to go to Disney World. I'm not going to buy Disney Plus. I'm not. I'm not going to to buy the DVDs. I'm not going to buy the merchandise because they tried this. Because they got into the middle of this fight. I'm no longer going to support this company. There are a lot of people that are out there, and their internal surveys, their internal market research shows that the theme parks are losing two major demographic groups. The older people, 50 plus, and 50 plus has the more discretionary income, but they're not going to any of the Disney theme parks anymore because of politics. And the younger family crowd, 20 and 30-somethings, the younger families groups, they're staying away because they don't feel like there is a family-oriented value to the Walt Disney Company anymore. They've tainted their reputation as a family-friendly organization by diving into the politics of this thing with Florida and also with this whole thing with Christopher Rufo coming out with all of these different internal video calls talking about the not-so-secret gay agenda. So it's no surprise that this kind of stuff is coming out against uh, the Walt Disney Company. Paul Dugarabedian comes back. I'm back. Quick, that was quick. All right, so let me get this back here. So we were just talking about the DeSantis thing with uh, with Reedy Creek, <coughs> and uh, how it's how it's an example of, you know, you mess around with the bear, you get you get <laughs> uh, you get uh, 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 what's the word mauled? You get mauled by the sometimes, bear. Sometimes, sometimes you get the bear. Sometimes the bar gets you, or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> From, right. <laughs> Big Lebowski. Um, yeah, very, very interesting. I, I'm kind of coming in, uh, cold here, but, uh, 
you want to talk about it? Uh, we could talk about that, or well, I could go through some of these Marvel drops. Yeah, let's draws. let's do that because we've got here. This is uh, this is Boing Boing saying that Ant Man's dropping seventy two percent. Now the numbers.com has it at seventy. I've seen sixty nine point something. I mean, it's been all over the place. Yeah, to but... clarify, I mean, we we're waiting for the finals to come in, and I'm sure as most of your listeners know or viewers know. We get estimates in on Sunday morning, which are estimates, and, and Ant-Man came in at $32.2 million in the estimates, which, according to our Comscore data, put it at a 69.65% drop, so not quite 70% if we go a couple decimal places out. Now, depending on when the final numbers are released, it's a little early yet, 1030 uh, Pacific time, but once we have the final final number, we'll know exactly uh, what the percentage drop drop was. But in any event, it's it's right around seventy percent. Uh, movies that opened over a hundred million dollars sometimes they drop pretty big. Um, but generally speaking, a movie that holds really well is creating ongoing interest and support from audiences. Uh, in this case, though, it did open over a holiday weekend. So it had a bigger than normal Sunday. I'm not doing the dog ate my homework excuse, but often with these big films, they do drop pretty heavy. And I, you know, I can, for example, go through the, the very quickly, some of the numbers. So Dr. Strange, the multiverse of madness dropped, dropped 67% its second weekend. Uh, Iron Man two dropped 59.38% in its second weekend. Avengers Endgame, which of course had the distinction of and still does the biggest opening weekend of all time, domestic opening of 357.1 million. That film opened that big and in its second weekend still did 147.4 million. That's a 58.73% drop for a movie that opened at 357.1 domestically, not globally, just in North America, 357.1 on Endgame back in 2019. So second weekend drops are all over the place. I, I know that uh, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2, I think that dropped close to 72%. Yeah. And again, we're talking about movies that open with over 100 million. You kind of have to look at it that way. You get into other types of movies that open with, you know, open lower. Often they have longer legs, have longer playability, so to speak. And don't necessarily see those giant second weekend drops. Well, let me ask you this: Are are the Marvel films are are the are the second week drops following any kind of a measurable trend at this point that you could see? I mean, are we going? Yeah, that's a great question because if if you look at some of the bigger or the steeper drops, they've come from the pandemic era. So, in other words, like Black Widow open simultaneous release so that had a six almost a 68 percent drop thor love and thunder from last year had a almost a 68 percent drop spider-man no way home dropped 67.5 percent in its second weekend but i mean that movie went from 260.1 million opening during the pandemic back in uh mid-december of 21 and had a second weekend of 84.5 million. Went on to wait, that film went on to make 1.9 billion worldwide, No Way Home. So it's kind of a mixed bag. And again, you can read, you could read something into this that's maybe more systemic, or that, you know, is there something going on here with the brand? But I, I'm loath to read too much into that. 
sometimes it's just the way the numbers fall. And often with movies that open that big, because again, this had a hundred and six point one million dollar opening right. uh, on Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantumania. You know, and we'll wait. We'll see what the final numbers come in, but it's still it's going to be around a seventy percent drop. No well, question. Now, you mentioned Spider Man No Way Home. I, I'm I'm thinking at some point because you had you had a uh, I guess a special circumstance there because we yeah, you we did. knew that Tobey Maguire was coming back. We knew Andrew Garfield was coming back. It's a Sony yeah. picture, not a Marvel Studios picture. Uh, and I would think you know Cam Cam mentions in the in the chat about movies having legs anymore. Yeah. I would think that that Spider-Man No Way Home, there were probably you've got that initial excited group that goes out, right. <clears throat> so big opening weekend, you've got the drop off, but at the same time, you have a lot of positive buzz and word of mouth really sustained that thing, so it just kept going steady, You're right. and with something like Thor: Love and Thunder, for example. The word of mouth on that was not positive. The word of mouth on Ant-Man is not positive. Although, it, you know, you look at the Rotten Tomatoes score, it's sitting right now at an audience score of 83%. Yeah. And over yeah. on Metacritic, the audience score, the user score is 6.0. It's not doing as well on Metacritic as it is on Ant-Man, or, or as it is on Rotten Tomatoes, yeah. rather. Yeah. But No, that's know, interesting. Every film has its own trajectory. And, of course, look— uh, Really strong holds week to week represent love for the movie, in my opinion, that people really want to continue to see it and they're supporting it. But again, you can have movies that open like like Megan open much lower than this, but it's had long term playability. I mean, look at Avatar. That's a great example. I mean, that's a movie where people are saying, oh, it's a it's a bomb out of the gate because it only opened to one hundred and thirty four million I believe was the number. And now here it sits with all these, you know, over $2 billion and, and certainly doing well. And look, Ant-Man globally is right now at 363.6 million. So no one's crying for the film. I mean, it's still a lot of money, but I do think it is very interesting to look at those. And like you said, those drops, because often these movies are front loaded because the fans just want to immediately go out and see them so yeah. uh well pretty... you've got you've got this statistic here in china oh, yeah you know it's it's three third place just seven million in its second weekend yeah I mean, it's it's yeah. dropping like a rock in china yeah so, and that's the other thing china has started uh, agreeing to play these films again and black gee, panther wakanda forever uh, I, just opened I, there in china a couple weeks ago i wonder <laughs> why <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. and uh avatar is still going strong so yeah it's very interesting and we, i think we're gonna have a really interesting year at the box office we've got a lot of big films on the way and i'm personally excited about oppenheimer that's right up my alley you see my rocket ship back there and yeah. i'm really into science and all that stuff so that's kind of cool and then creed 3 is coming up and uh but so it's going to be fun for us, you, Jason. Though, let me year. ask you about Creed Three real quick. I know it's not really yeah. in our wheelhouse, but yeah. the fact that they've already announced ho uh, digital and home video dates and it hasn't even hit screens yet has a lot of people saying, "Well, they don't believe in this film. They're just going to they're going to get it out and and be done with it." I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that because I feel like you could go on Apple right now and pre-order movies that just came out. Um, I think that's sort of now the standard operating procedure. I don't know that necess necessarily reflects a lack of confidence in the film. I certainly love the first Creed 
movie that had a lot going for it. Really enjoyed that movie. Uh, remains to be seen. I haven't seen Creed three. I know they're doing an IMAX presentation. I got a note from IMAX yesterday about an IMAX uh, screening earlier. You know, early in the week of Creed three and IMAX. Does, so that's does that's, the that's, fact- that shows some confidence well does the fact that sylvester stallone has come out and openly spoken against this film does that hurt because that's really a that's really a small theatrical window before you get into home video yeah no that's true and look stallone i mean obviously he was so great in the original creed movie it was great to see him in the movie and that he was on board with that and uh great director on that and uh, you know just had everything going for it but what remains to be seen how it does. Well, you know, and I think too, I was just talking to somebody earlier about the fact that, you know, it's it's nice to have a movie going back to Cocaine Bear where you just go, I just want to go to the movies. Yeah. Not necessarily like it's known IP or whatever. You just get the concept or you just see the title. Remember the days, Jason, when you wouldn't even order tickets? You go, you remember, Jason, yep. going to the movie theater and you buy, you look at the marquee and go, hey, I want to see that movie that sounds funny and you just buy the ticket and go in Yep, kind of dealer's choice. I love that. I want to see more of that happening. There was but we need movies that fuel that. Yeah. In 1989, my first year of college, we, we had a group that went to the movies. We were going to go see Batman, Michael Keaton, mm-hmm. and it was sold out. And <laughs> we're like, well, we're here. What else is out here? So we were looking at this stuff and there was this, this weird sounding little flick called The Unsinkable Shecky Moskowitz. And we're like, well, what is that? That sounds like fun. We'll go in there. <laughs> it was the Adam yep. Sandler movie, which has since been retitled Overboard. <clears throat> oh, yeah. It is a terrible movie. My girlfriend and I at the time, we walked out in the first 15 minutes. This thing is so front-loaded with F-bombs. And it's basically about Shecky Moskowitz, who wants to become the stand-up comedian for a cruise line. And Norm MacDonald is in there as the stand-up comedian for this cruise line. And we're looking at this. This is the stupidest thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and it's every other word, expletive, F-bomb, expletive, right. expletive. It was like, no, not done. I mean, this is just no nothing to it. But it's, again, it's that situation that you're talking about. Well, Batman sold out. What else is there? Oh, right. this, this sounds like it might, might be something. Let's go do that. And yeah, and what right. if you had picked a winner? What if, what if you had picked a film that was awesome, right? Yeah. That you didn't really know that much about or didn't want to see. Those are the gems where you just go, how the hell did this happen? And that's, that's cinematic fate, right? That yeah. you <laughs> either wind up in another cinema or you could have snuck in. I don't, you know, I don't <laughs> tell people to do this. But you could sneak in, you know, to the Batman or Batman movie, but it might have been sold out. Could have been yeah. no seats left. Yeah. Clearly well, there weren't. So you had to go to another uh, auditorium in the multiplex. But I do think it, it just brings up, I think Cocaine Bear, again, not to read too much into it, because not every, you know, you could have snakes on the plane on a plane, too. Uh, <laughs> so not every time out of the gate is something irreverent, offbeat and getting social media chatter yeah. going to automatically become a hit. It's well, it's lightning in a bottle. It's not that easy to manufacture this again. So, well, and we'll I see. think I think some of the trades are a little bit flummoxed by this too because they're like yeah. what? Cuz I mean, Elizabeth Banks even came out in an interview and said that she was worried this what this was going to do to her career. It was like, are you kidding? You've got a hit for once. Exactly. So that's great revival. for her. But, and I really like the look again, not overreaching, I hope, 
But for a studio to look at this and, you know, studios want to be uh, have great relationships with talent. Yeah. So if they're going to you know, say, hey, look, we'll we'll bankroll this movie may not be a hit, but we want to be in the Elizabeth Banks business, then they can do that. Or likewise with Babylon and the Damien Chazelle business. But, you know, she delivered a hit on this. And I think the the really the the bottom line is. Don't underestimate the audience because they'll come out and see stuff like this. If it's well done, gets the buzz going. And Jason, I saw it the other night on Thursday night and pretty full auditorium and people are just cracking up, having a blast. Yeah. It's a movie theater movie well, because it's so much fun. It's outrageous enough that you hear the people laughing and cheering and, sh- you know, yeah, shrieking and horror. Well, and, and that's and that's the other thing, you know, that shared experience thing that you don't get watching it at home, right? And that's from right. from some of the stuff that I've been hearing from people who have seen Ant Man, a lot of the jokes didn't land, and you don't get that kind of reaction from the audience that you're expecting, right? And yeah. you know, you've got uh, you've got this this question from from Variety: Should Marvel get concerned? Well, yeah. I mean, if your if your entire phase four was this muddled mess, and your your producer, somebody from the Ant Man creative team, basically says, "Well, the box office is going to do what it's going to do. This is mainly here just to set up Kang." Um, that yeah. sounds like your priorities are kind of in the wrong place there, because you know the the guy who's the guy who's writing this stuff, they they say they don't have a plan really. They mm-hmm. kind of have an idea for a story, but he's behind on writing his Avengers script. And, and he says, there's really no solid plan for phase five at this point. And I'm thinking, um, you're in phase five. You should kind of have an idea of the trajectory that you're going. And if Kang is going to be this, you know, Thanos level right. villain, then yeah. you should probably have an idea what you're going to do and, with them. And Jason, the thing is folks like you and others, who are really into this, like this is serious. Like the Marvel phase four got so much, you know, it, it was, you know, raked over the coals yeah. and in many cases for good reason, but it, the fans are always going to keep you in check. That doesn't mean studios and filmmakers are going to do what the fans want, right? but take heed from your fan base, especially one like this, that has so much clout influence and money to spend going to the movie theater uh, and you got to keep that rolling. Hopefully, you know, Guardians is coming up and there's you know, obviously many more films uh, to come for Marvel. So we'll see how this goes. But again, it, they have they have been held to such a high standard, especially in terms of box office, that even at three hundred and sixty three million and opening to over one hundred million for Marvel, that feels maybe for some like a come down. There's still really strong numbers. But again, those week after week drops or holds really do tell you a lot about the temperature of the audience out there, what they're feeling about a movie. Now, Cocaine Bear, that'll be interesting to see if that holds up, how that holds up, if it has legs. Yeah. (laughs) This bear has legs. And uh, it may, but it might have been front-loaded too. But you know what? On a movie that has a modest budget, and I'd say that a little bit with tongue-in-cheek at $30 but... If it's profitable and you make back your money in a week and a, you know a couple of weeks in terms of box office, and I predict Cocaine Bear will do very well once it hits streaming. Oh sure, people are going to want to. 
people who didn't go to the movie theaters see are going to be like, oh, I heard about that. I'm, I want to see it. Well, and I think the other part of that, too, I mean, you look at something like, uh, was it Jesus Revolution? or, or Yeah, I was just going to, oh, you read my mind and on that. Because, it, yeah. It, is this indicative of a little bit of superhero movie fatigue as well, in addition to everything else? Oh, it's another Marvel movie. And and we've heard the critiques that Marvel has fallen into a formula. Uh, all of the movies are the exact same, you know, with, in terms of the story beats and whatnot. And here we are into our, what, 30, 32 films? Or 31, many? 30, 31 films, 28.6 billion worldwide so Co far. Cocaine Bear and Jesus Revolution are not part of a franchise. I don't have to see 12 films in order to know what's going on. I don't have to read six books. I don't have to go into the comic books to understand the backstory of this particular character. Yeah. None of that. I don't. I don't have any required reading or homework to watch <laughs> Cocaine Bear or Jesus Revolution. And Jason, that's a good so. thing. And Jesus Revolution overperformed as well, over fifteen and a half million this weekend. And it just shows that you can serve the faith-based audience. You can serve the R-rated, edgy drug <laughs> interested <laughs> people interested in watching a, a drugged-out bear audience and you can have the superhero audience but and running time matters man i'm yeah i think people i i've had more people tell me 95 minutes great for cocaine bear and i i, I don't know the runtime on jesus revolution offhand but i think that also people are becoming they really look at run times now and want to know am i committing am i going to be out of the house from 7 p.m till midnight with the all-in travel trailers eating, right. whatever you're going to do, or I'm going to be in and out of there in two hours all in. And and that also, I think, not that that should be the main consideration in choosing a movie is how fast will I get home, but it is cool to have a tight 95-minute movie like Cocaine Bear. I think Megan wasn't that long of a movie. And I think audiences, are they appreciate tight storytelling. Yeah, It's about the audience, not about the necessarily just the director just putting everything in there, but yeah. um, it depends on the movie, though. IMDb says that Jesus Revolution is right at two hours. Okay. Well, two hours pretty industry standard yeah. for most movies. And I, I was looking into this as well as the, you know, run. people keep saying our movie's getting longer, and like Babylon, obviously, and Avatar, both over three hours. But then I was watching on, I don't know if it was HBO Max or wherever, where they have, you know, Lawrence of Arabia, Ben-Hur. Those movies were like... Well, they had an overture and a yep. prelude and an intermission, which they leave in often in these, you know, and they're in CinemaScope and all that. And it's great. But some of these movies are over four hours yeah. long. But again, they're padded with some of that, again, well, uh, ba and, uh, hearkening back to the good old days, you and know, they're the intermission and all that. Yeah, but they're presented as event movies. This is, yeah. they're, they're not... Oh well, this is just your typical standard theatrical fair. These are these are events. These are epic. these are historical epics. Well, the chariot race—you couldn't get yeah. that on TV back then. And there's nothing like watching <laughs> Lawrence of Arabia on the on the big screen. I took Mrs. Boss to go see it. It is a fantastic film, and you have to see it on the screen at it's least once. Unreal. Yeah. The cinematography. I mean, I know that obviously Steven Spielberg very much enamored with David Lean and uh, Lawrence of Arabia. And I watched Ben Hur, uh, parts of it. I <laughs> I didn't have time to watch the whole movie, but <laughs> the chariot race is just unbelievable. But I'm watching on my 65 inch TV. I'm like, that's why I love certain theaters that or chains that do their hand picked like Sinopolis out here, where they'll put a movie like Lawrence of Arabia back on the big screen. And then you had like Christopher Nolan doing the 2001 Space Odyssey 
uh, re-release at the Cinerama Dome, the great yeah. Cinerama Dome. But that was actually a film print. Well, and it, which was amazing. You talk about Spielberg, and and I, I, I it reminds me he was at Berlin Film Festival and got this Lifetime Achievement Award thing. He's like, well, my lifetime's not done. I still got stuff to do. <laughs> but he's yeah. even talking about going back into the horror space. And Love it. I'm thinking, okay, Spielberg doing horror again. You know, <laughs> Duel. Jaws, I, Poltergeist. I love that idea. I, I actually, and I was looking at, you know, the Fast 10 trailer, and it looks like what you're, what people want from Fast and Furious, but I love the first movie. Yeah. I like it when, when franchises go back and deconstruct themselves or go back to, you know, their roots and, and kind of go back to more minimalistic filmmaking. That generally doesn't happen because everything gets bigger, more expensive, but audiences, I think they like something stripped down like Cocaine Bear. And even Megan was sort of a, I mean, obviously a different type of movie. But even that movie felt kind of like old school, like Chucky, but different. And uh, I don't know, man. I think we, yeah. we won't figure this out today, Jason. But <laughs> it is well, fun to to really um, look at all this. And I, I've, I've just been going back and watching a lot of movies from the early 80s. I watched... My wife and I watched Body Heat from 1981. Mm -hmm. What oh, an yeah. absolutely phenomenal movie. William Hurt and uh, Kathleen, Kathleen Turner, Turner and Lawrence Kasdan and the music by John Barry. That film, it's Basic Instinct-esque, way before Basic Instinct. Yeah. Uh, what a movie. But so it's great to just go back and watch. that. That is the beautiful thing about watching stuff at home, even though it's on the small screen. Right. But now, uh, cool to look at those old movies. Jay in the chat says, I already despise sitting in a room full of obnoxious people who don't know how to sit still, shut their phones off, and be quiet. I really have no desire to sit with them for three-plus hours. But well, but can you well, imagine? I mean, can you imagine Steven Spielberg going back to his roots in the 70s and 80s and doing a $30 million picture, a, a $40 million horror flick? That's, count me no, in, man. I, I mean, Hey, I have a great existential question for you, Jason. Yes. Is Jaws a horror movie? I would say so. Okay. It's an open I, question. I would, say, I, I would say it has aspects of horror. You know, the mon yeah. the monster and, and the suspense. You know, that thriller aspect to it. Yeah. Uh, maybe not Maybe not gore, blood, and guts type of thing. Like, like not know, haunted like house. Kind of thing. Yeah, it's uh, not a slasher flick, but I think I think it does. I, I think it would count as a horror film. Okay. Well, I I also uh, I love the trailer for Skinamarink, which is this yeah very mostly budget. Just the trailer scared the crap out of me. I haven't seen the movie yet, but somebody told me watch it at home in the dark with headphones because <laughs> I think the sound design will yeah. blow your mind and scare the crap out of you. But I don't know. I love I love horror movies. Uh, in the right hands, they can be amazing and. Uh, I just like that, uh, and Cocaine Bear is sort of not a horror movie, but it kind of, it's sort of like Jaws or Duel, uh, mm -hmm. where you have this force coming after you the whole movie, and so that's yeah. kind of cool, but uh, I recommend people see Cocaine Bear, although I will admit, I may have said this earlier, I told a friend to go see it, they did, and they walked out, so... Well, and I want to go back to something that you yeah. said about Avatar, and, and the, the, the length of time that it's had in theaters, the success yeah. that it's had, yeah. but it's been spread out. It's not just the first weekend. And I think some of that could go back to those of us here in the YouTube space, because 
at the beginning, when when everything before the movie comes out, everybody right. is speculating it's gonna be it's gonna be garbage. It's gonna be you know because James Cameron came out and he said what he said about testosterone being toxic, and, blah, blah, blah. and everybody gets oh he's gonna he's gonna do the politics thing, and most of the people that were assuming it was going to be one thing came out and they said, you know what? I actually enjoyed it. It's actually yeah. better than I expected it to be. And so you have that kind of word of mouth. Not not the, it's fantastic, it's great, it's wonderful, you've got to go see it. But it's it's almost this tepid, yeah, it's better than I thought it was. So now <laughs> you get this people over the long term, people going at, well, Gary Nerdrotic said, it's better than we expected. Such and such YouTuber said it's better than the YouTube space is starting to have a little bit yeah. more of an influence. And I when agree. We sit there and say I, I, it, it's better. Now they're starting to go see based on what we're saying. Right. And that's, that's called influence. Right. And on that movie, I remember heading into the opening weekend. It opened uh, December 16 uh, of last year that there was all kinds of speculation that it would open to 180 million, 190 million. I even saw a couple of people speculating 200 million. I'm thinking December generally, there have been big movies that open big in December, but usually December is the, is where films that have legs or long-term playability kick off. And notably in our com score data, I'm looking here, 134.1 million opening weekend, not a record opening weekend, that kind of thing. But the opening weekend multiple, which I love multiples because it represents how many times the opening weekend gross became the domestic cume, and that's five, almost five times, Jason. So the film's at over 661 million domestically off a $134.1 million opening. That's almost five times. A lot of films, they'll do two times. Mm -hmm. Like if they open to 120 million, the movie will wind up with 240 million domestically. Right. So Avatar definitely has a great multiple for a film that opened with over 100 million, just keeps playing and playing. Now it's in its 11th weekend, so pretty impressive. Well, and there's speculation that Ant-Man's not going to even make its budget back. I mean, it's when you have that big of a budget, that's the other thing, Jason. When you have that big of budgets, the pressure is on, man. Yeah. Because it's financial and it's a big deal. And it puts even more pressure on the filmmakers in the film. And like with Cocaine Bear, it's like, or, or other movies that have, let's say, sub $30 million budgets or sub 40 or sub $100 million budgets, <laughs> that they're, they're still under pressure. But I mean, come on, when you're at that level and you need to make half a billion just to break even worldwide. Yeah, that's crazy. That's no small thing. Well, and not just the production budget, $200, $250 million, but now you've also got the advertising and marketing budget, which is almost as much. So, oh, you know, that's right. you're, yeah. you're behind the eight ball no matter what. If you don't, you know, and, and maybe we've done it to ourselves as, as fans, as audience members, as moviegoers. You know, we're drawn to the spectacle, we're drawn to the big blockbuster, whatever. And we didn't go to any of the rest of the films, the little smaller films, and now we're paying for it because nobody's making. You make those a great anymore. point. It is. Hey, we're the audience, right? We're we're the most powerful people in Hollywood. By we, I mean the collective we, the royal we out there, because we make the decision whether or not to go. Now, a lot of that, some of that, you could lay at the doorstep of marketing. Because if, if the message doesn't get out to people and they don't get what the movie's about or it doesn't sound appealing or whatever, 
and trailer creation and trailer production is so important. The the trailer often is the thing that gets people in and yeah. great trailers are a thing of beauty, but uh, it's very important to get that marketing message out there. But you made a good point though about social media and people on YouTube being able to tell people, hey, you should go see this movie or not or whatever. I mean, it, it look, it's the most subjective thing in the world. There is no objectivity when it comes to what movies I like. We may agree on some and I get into not arguments, but I have people in my orbit who get really mad if either you like a movie they don't like or they don't like a movie you like or whatever. Yeah. I'm like, who cares? It's like wine. If you like it, if you like two buck shot, go for it, man. I don't care. You know what I mean? So right. I, it's just one of those things where that's the beauty of it. That's why we're talking about it because it's so much fun and we're passionate about movies and then discovering a movie that you never heard of or that a friend tells you to see turns out to be great. There's nothing better than that. I think it's like it's, a restaurant recommendation. I think it's easier when it's not a franchise film because you have the, there's no there's no baggage. There's no gravitas right. or you know whatever word you want to put in there because you know for something like Star Wars for example uh, you know, The Last Jedi was so polarizing and divisive, and wow. and a lot of it had to do with the politics of whoever was on whatever side. And then, of course, you had everything that that Ryan Johnson said about you know, well, if I'm not if I'm not taking off half my audience, I'm not doing it right. That kind of thing. Right. And yeah. you have these franchises where you have fans that are so passionate and so invested, not just because hey, I saw a movie. It's I've seen. 12 movies i've seen two tv shows i've read the comic books i've bought the novels yeah, i've got vested. the action figures. you're you're yeah. really into this <clears throat> and so there's a lot more emotional investment in something like that as opposed to something like cocaine bear which is a one-off right and so you can no, like that's it true. and you can like it and your buddy doesn't like it but there's not going to be this heated you know you know uh right you know, dual at dawn type of attitude, <laughs> you know, you know, uh, uh, 45s at, at 10 paces in the, in, in the morning. So you make a great you know, point. Cause if it's 95 minutes and 15 bucks out of my pocket, I mean, I can move on from that. I, I, I have no problem, but if it's years of investment of my time and energy and love and passion for this content or these movies and these characters, that's something entirely different, but it also is, High praise for Marvel just overall, because look at what has been built through that, whether you're disappointed or not, yeah. look at what they built there. But it is a a big, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> and so uh, the, the pressure is on. But I wanted to bring up one thing, and you made me think of it, was, you know, by like Logan, for example, that that was such a breath of fresh air. I just I went into that movie not knowing what to expect. I'm talking about Logan with right. Hugh Jackman. Yeah. Everybody watching this knows, and James Mangold did a brilliant job. And I absolutely I'm still obsessed with that movie. But it was something that blew my mind because I didn't expect that. But when I saw the R rating, I was like, okay, this and Deadpool in a different way pushed the envelope uh, right. by going. And it's not just about going with an R rating, but it was about taking that character to a different place, putting a real filmmaker centric spin spin on it. Yet it was highly entertaining and a buddy picture, like a road picture as well. And, and a deconstructed modernist Western at the same time. So what I'm just going on a rant now. I mean, no, about, okay. on a, not a rant, but I just a yeah. love of, of a movie like Logan. So anyway, do you think that that superhero movie fatigue is finally setting in at some point? I mean, 
there's I don't believe in fatigue. I believe in bad movie fatigue. Okay. I think it's I think if you had a, a Logan came out tomorrow or a movie like that, people would love it and they'd love the superhero genre. I don't know that they're, I just think people get fatigued by kind of the cookie cutter thing or just too often. And this doesn't just apply to, to Marvel or any particular brand, but for all movies, I think it's just, you got to put it up there on the screen. Again, it's very subjective as to what's good. I mean, yeah. you know. But uh, I don't think it's that. I, I, I've never believed in that. I mean, you could argue about that. You could say, yeah, too many of these and people are like, not another one. But a mo some movies can rise above that, above all that noise, the background noise, if they're really stellar, you know, like a stellar, unbelievable, gr unbelievably great film loved by critics and audiences alike. So mm. those can happen and then surprise us. And then we have then we're back on track. But we'll see. So Let's let see. me let me let me wrap up with this one question. I'm going to put you on the hot seat a little bit. Okay. Here. Predictions for the Flash because it's going to screen at, at CinemaCon Ooh. in April, yeah. And then it hits it hits screens when in May June. So how do you think it's going to do? Well, there's it, a lot of backstory. There. There's a lot of backstory. There's a lot of baggage. <laughs> there's a lot of people that are sitting there going, "Yeah, Michael Keaton's in it," but. Ezra yeah, there, you know and, what's interesting though, Jason. We we are fully vested in this business, and we study it. You have to figure what is the typical viewer think of it, and yeah. will they just want to go see it based on the trailer? There's a lot of baggage here, a lot of money invested in that movie. They they obviously have to put it out there. Audience will decide, you know, and and uh, but there's a lot. <laughs> Yeah. A lot to unpack there that couldn't have even been, I think, foreseen way back when they conceptualized doing the movie. So, yeah, well, and I'm I not think, giving you a great answer, but no, that's that. No, and, and it's bit. hard. It's hard to predict. But you're right. The there is a separation between those of us who are paying attention to all of this stuff and the quote unquote normies, the people who are not. <laughs> And, you know, I've right. been hearing people talk about, you know, I've been having conversations with people and they're really excited about Michael Keaton coming back as Batman. And then you mention Ezra Miller and they go, who? That's and, you exactly know, a what lot I'm of people. About. A lot of people don't even know about all of this legal stuff that he's been dealing with. Yeah. And, you know, the mental health challenges and all this other stuff. You know, Michael Keaton's coming back as Batman. And, and right. that's been the thing that everybody's been talking about. And of course, you got a little bit about this. The you know, who who is this Supergirl? Because she doesn't look like Supergirl. But yep. at the same time, it's again, it's in our circles where we're a little bit more familiar with this stuff. You know, there's that's right thirty thousand people that read comic books, and there's how many millions of people that go to the movies, and they have no idea about any of this. Right, stuff. and they're looking at it from a thirty thousand foot view. Like, who's in the movie? What's it about? Is Michael Keaton in it? Is Batman? And that's it. Not the backstory and all that stuff going on. So that we are in a bit of a bubble here in our business. So yeah. it's again the the mainstream audience will decide the fate of any given movie, really. All right. Well, we will let you have the last okay. word there. And when the Flash does screen at CinemaCon, I'm sure that people will be talking about it, and uh, and there will be plenty of opportunities for Paul to jump in here and and open. I'll be there. I'll be at CinemaCon. I've been going every year. Yeah. Uh, pretty much. For you'll, the last thirty years, you'll, so you'll uh, have to I'll give us there. you'll have to give us some scoops. I'll be there <laughs> on the scene. <laughs> All right, Paul DeGarabedian, senior media analyst for Comscore. Uh, you can find him in various different places. Let's pull this up. You can see him on Twitter 
And he's mm-hmm. got two podcasts that he co-hosts. One, Mini Screens Big Picture. That's my solo project. The and solo then project. I have Ticket to Ride, which is a, a co-hosting thing we do for ComScore uh, with Mike Polydorus. He and I talk. We're going to record today talking about Cocaine Bear and, and Ant-Man and Jesus Revolution. All right. And our review of Cocaine Bear is up over at SciFiFarine.com. So you can read that as well. And that's going to do it for us today. Paul, thanks very All much right. for being here, sir. Always good to Thank have you, you in Thank you, Jason. Here. That's the bare necessities the bare today. This is right. <laughs> I'll leave it with that. <laughs> All right. Coming up a little bit later on in the week on Wednesday, Preston Fossil will be here to talk about his new book, Beast of 42nd Street. And tomorrow... <sighs> I'm not going to be here. Mrs. Boss is going to be guest hosting tomorrow. So uh, you can join us for that. And then tomorrow night, the H2O podcast, Mr. Harvey and I will be back at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central. So uh, I don't know what we're talking about yet, but we'll figure it out uh, well before a half hour ahead of the show. <clears throat> All right. So um, I guess I should, I guess I haven't, I haven't had a chance to tell you about this. We have reset the clock. The, um, the um, junior office dog, <clears throat> junior office dog tried to kill me on Saturday. So we are, uh, we are bringing in supplies and I'm, I'm, you know, Mrs. Boss is handing me stuff, and I'm taking it into the building. And Junior Office Dog is there. And Junior Office Dog gets underfoot and trips me. Now, normally, when we have to reset this this counter, it's because of something that happened with Mindy. And we were over 700 days. And now, now we had to reset. And it's my fault this time. Uh, because uh, the the junior office dog tripped me. I ended up on the floor um, falling fairly hard on the floor at the top of the stairs and uh, that that close that close to going head first down the stairs because of junior office dog. So yeah, so we've had to reset the count. Anyway, all right, that's it for us today, folks. You can connect with us on various different social media platforms. Make sure that you subscribe. Feel free to share. Uh, Join us on the various different video platforms, social media. Subscribestar is up and running. The Discord server is there for all of you to, uh, to connect with us and continue these conversations. There are some really good discussion threads going on over there right now, so you can jump in for that. And uh, like I said, Mrs. Boss will be here tomorrow. Preston Fossil, our guest, on Wednesday. And we'll just keep going and doing what we're doing here, folks. Thanks very much. And and like Paul says, you have a lot of control over this stuff as the paying customer. And I want to remind you of that. It is your dollar. It is your vote when it comes to politics and, and, and elected officials and, and, and policy and city council and that kind of thing. You have more control than you realize, and it's time to exercise a, a lot of that. So uh, so be active, be, uh, be vocal, be, be polite, but uh, take, some, take some action in support of those things for which you believe. And, and uh, remember, the politicians hate you. The media lies to you. They want you to think there are five lights, 
but there are four lights. This has been a presentation of SciFiForMe.com. Copyright 2023 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. You're listening to Sci-Fi For Me Radio. 